Uh, great to be back with you. You guys have fun at uh, men's and women's retreats? Did you guys go to those? Yeah. Um, it, was, uh, it was awesome to be here last week and hear you guys talk about how excited you were about it. Uh, and I hope it was a really good weekend to get away and to kind of grow with each other and to kind of um, you know, take some next steps in your faith, hopefully get to be uh, vulnerable a little bit. And uh, those of you who might be here tonight who didn't get to do that, or maybe you're new to crew, um, it's a great group of people. Um, and so uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor of Venture Church here in town. Our church is about five and a half years old. And uh, I want to say this, we uh, every month try to have a college hangout just at a family's house at our church. The next one is this coming Sunday, March 3rd. Uh, I know Rachel, I was talking to her today, she's planning on being there. So if you want to get up with Rachel and go, it's, it's like you don't have to like commit to coming to our church forever or anything or ever want, even once. You just, we want you to be able to know some like families in town that if you needed something, you could call them. And the family that's going to be at it this, this weekend is, is awesome. Uh, Brent and Emily Myers actually helped us start our church. They're down kind of in the Monkey Junction area. Uh, if you would like to go, uh, would you tell Rachel so she could get a little bit of a head count so she could, um, we could tell Emily and they could know how many people to count on. But um, we'd love to just uh, you know, be some of your family here in town and let you know that we love you and want to be available for you. So let's jump into some teaching tonight. So uh, this week we're taking a step deeper into some of the stuff we talked about last week. Last week we got into this concept of of the chain reaction that happens when you're the lead domino in somebody's life, especially when it comes to something about know about, about God, faith, uh, your spiritual journey. And so that was last week's message, and, and I can kind of get a sense, just as I'm reading the room, that a lot of you guys are kind of pretty much, you're, you're all in. You're either all in on crew, or you're pretty, you were singing songs to Jesus in Spanish tonight, okay? So like, you're like, you're at least like leaning into Jesus a little bit more. And so I'm really, I'm really pumped to see this, crew, this group. I know that sometimes, especially early on in the year, there's a little more people here who are kind of seeking. And so as I was talking to Julian and getting closer to speaking these, these two weeks, um, the two topics we really want to discuss were both evangelism, which was last week, and discipleship, which is this week. And I think it's cool that Jake's story was like right along with where we're going tonight. And so to get us going tonight, we're going to start with one single word. Okay, the word is... Follow. Everybody say follow. Follow. We're all about following these days, especially because of social media. We do all kinds of weird, awkward things privately that nobody knows about when we're just like creeping on their Facebook page or looking at all their pictures. Um, but does anybody recognize this picture? Did we get that picture? The picture of the egg. Anybody know this guy? Do you know about this? This blew my mind. Okay, if you don't know this story, okay, somebody, apparently, I think it was Kylie Jenner had the most liked Instagram post of all time, okay? And so somebody, I'm, I'm sure we know who it is, I don't know who it is, decided I want to get more likes on an Instagram post than this kind of Kylie Jenner post. And so this is the post. This is the picture. You can just, it's called World Record Egg. Not only did they crush the record, I think they got over 50 million likes, um, they also, we're talking about following, this egg has over 10 million followers. We are crazy. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. But we're all about following. Um, that is not the type of following we're talking about tonight. Okay, another following story. Uh, last week there was a basketball game. Any uh, Duke Carolina fans? Yeah. Are you Carolina fans? Okay, because I was going to say, like, if you're a Duke fan, it's probably the week to be quiet. Um, because it didn't work out. Uh, I'm sorry, Duke friends, fans. I heard that Zion is getting better. Uh, I, I sadly have to report that his shoe is never going to recover. That thing is busted. Um, I, uh, I don't care. I don't have a team in that. Um, uh, but that was a good one. Um, but uh, when I was in middle school, back in the mid-90s, I got to go to a Duke Carolina game at the Dean Dome. And that was really cool. And so while I was there, 
um, my friend and I, we didn't care about basketball. What we cared about was looking for girls. And so the entire game, my friend Jeff and I, we were just cruising the hallways of the Deendom, and we're looking for cute girls, like little middle school girls, I guess. We're like, I think in the sixth or seventh grade. And so we're, I didn't, like, what are we, what's our goal? Like, I don't know what the goal is. I don't know what the end game here is, but I know, like, we're interested in, in, in the female species, and maybe we just want to, like, observe them in their natural habitat. I don't know. And we found some. And so we found this little group of middle school girls. What do you call that? Like a, a gaggle? Um... <laughs> A, a giggle? Um, I don't know. But we found, we found some. We found one particular that we really liked. And so we did the smooth thing. Okay, this is what you do. Um, we just, wherever they were, they weren't there for the basketball game either. They were in this, the, the halls. Whatever, wherever they were, we decided to also be there. That was our strategy. It totally worked. Does they notice us, as you'll find out. Uh, so, like, they're getting the soft pretzels or whatever at the thing. And we're, like, over here by the, like, magazine rack like they go get a drink and we're like and like they went to the bathroom like 15 times I don't know what was going on there and like we we followed them and we followed them and we were like this is awesome and then all of a sudden I felt a tap on my shoulder and I turned around and it was a police officer (laughs) and he was like boys the girls have asked me to ask you to please stop following them it's really weird. And what's, here's the thing. I think that was a lie because we were watching every move they made, and I never saw them talk to the police officer. Um, but we were, you know, you know, we were busted. So, uh, also another type of following we're talking about tonight. That's creepy. Don't do that. You might go to jail, especially at this age in your life. Um, it's cute when you're in the sixth grade. Much past that, uh, let's, let's not. Let's not. Tonight we're talking about following Jesus, okay? And so we all said the word follow, but I want to I transition to a different word. Everybody say follow Say disciple. Okay, disciple is, is from the same word as follow. In fact, another way to translate that same word is learner. And so when Jesus calls his disciples, what he is calling is a group of learners, and he's actually calling a group of people to follow him. Uh, what we find in, like, uh, kind of first initially recruiting his initial disciples, we can read a couple of these passages. We're going to be, uh, real quick, Matthew four nineteen. This is when he finds Peter and Andrew. They're out doing their day job, and he hollers out to them, Hey, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Follow me. And you see it again in Luke chapter 5. Um, verse 27, he calls a guy named Matthew. Here we see him called Levi. It's another name he went by. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. So Levi got up and he left everything. And he followed him. And over and over in the Jesus story, we find him encountering people in their everyday life. In fact, most of the people that he finds like this are literally at work. And he finds them and he says, follow me. And the people who had kind of heard about his reputation and seen who he was and maybe had some opportunity to kind of glean from him and other people who knew about him, what he was about, they did. I love Levi's story. He left what he was doing and he physically followed Jesus. Jesus was a rabbi, a Jewish teacher. There's still rabbis today in the Jewish faith. Uh, And this method of teaching, um, of discipling, was pretty unique, pretty awesome. And it would be that you would physically, literally follow your teacher. You would live life with them. You would get up from what you were doing, you would leave your past behind, and you would come do daily life with them. And when he went to the market, you went to the market. And when he had something to work on, you went and you worked on it with him. And when he traveled, 
you traveled. There was this phrase, the phrase was the dust of your rabbi. And the idea was, I want to be so close to my teacher that when he walks in these old kind of uh, dusty roads, that the dust of his feet would get up on me because I'm following in his footsteps so closely. So when Jesus said, follow me, he meant it. He meant come and learn from me day by day. And this following message was, was uh, this following method was a very practical way to see how the teacher dealt with his day-to-day life. How did he interact with human beings? How did he interact with conflict and confrontation? Uh, in college, you know, you, you might get, um, I, I remember in college, I mean, you'd get with a good professor, maybe three hours a week with that professor, maybe, and you're with, you know, 10, 20, 50, or 100 students, you know. Uh, maybe if you have like multiple classes with the same professors, you get a few more hours. Uh, but then after that class, what are you doing? Going to another teacher to learn something else. And another teacher to learn something else. Not, not to mention that it's a lecture setting, more like this. And you're sitting in a spot, and it's all about, uh, you know, transferring information. Why? So I can pass a test. And so this method of following being a disciple was so much more about being completely immersed in the life of that teacher. It was something they often called uh, his mantle or his, his yoke, the thing that he would put on. And I want, you to, I want you to put on my teachings the same way that I put them on. And the only way to see that is to see it day by day. And Jesus would go to these people and he would say, come, follow me. And so they did. The initial 12 disciples, the 12 followers, the 12 learners, they followed him and they heard him recite pages and pages of scripture that he had memorized and teach on it they heard him proclaim that he was the son of God and that the kingdom of heaven was at hand he saw they saw him do miracles and they saw him uh, prove that he was more than just a regular human that some of the claims that he made might be true they saw him have compassion on the poor and spend time with the people with incurable diseases and squat down on people who had been caught in really bad sin and offer them instead of condemnation forgiveness and grace and an opportunity to to do better. And over that time period, uh, many people began to follow Jesus. In fact, in some places in his life, we find that there are thousands, maybe upwards of tens of thousands of people physically following Jesus from one little village to the next little village, just getting an opportunity to see him and hear from him. Admittedly, some of them were there just for the handouts. Uh, it was, reputation was like, if you're sick, he can heal you. If you're hungry, he can feed you. And so some people were there for that. Other people were there to, because they wanted to get a chance to hear, what is this guy talking about? Why is he so popular and why is this happening? And his disciples got to continue to watch him as he faced confrontation from people who opposed him. As he was unfairly arrested, carried off to like this bogus middle-of-the-night court trial where he was convicted to execution by crucifixion. Remember, these people, they had a funeral for Jesus. But then they were there when he rose from the dead and appeared to them and over 500 others as he began to teach again and prove that he had resurrected because he was God in the flesh. All of this is only possible because they followed him. I was reading uh, the book of Acts with my, my family this week, and, and if you get the chat, I guess it's the end of chapter one, the very beginning, and you might remember Judas, he's the guy who betrays Jesus, and it's neat that at the end uh, of his whole situation, the, the apostles come together like, we've got to find somebody to replace Judas, and uh, read this, it's pretty interesting, because they say, when we pick someone, the people, the person that we pick to replace Judas has to be someone who was here from the beginning of his teaching till the end. Because we have to have someone who followed him, who saw it all, and then who could prove, yes, he did raise from the dead. Because that, that was the cornerstone of everything that they taught. 
And these original disciples, these original followers, they lived with him, walked with him, ate with him, slept with him, saw him when he was uh, grumpy. I'm sure there were times when Jesus was grumpy. I know he sees my life, and there's got to be times when he's grumpy at me. They saw that. And for three and a half years, they followed him. Last week, we read this passage called it the Great Commission. And I want to read it again. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. And this, you'll remember this from last week. All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore, go. And what does it say? Make what? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we unpacked that whole verse a whole lot last week. But what does it mean to be a disciple? You know, we spend a lot of time as the church. Um, a lot of you guys grew up in church, spent some time in church. I'm seeing some heads nod. Um, did anyone at your church ever tell you you should tell your friends about Jesus? Yeah, that's like the big message. We should t- go and make disciples. You should tell people about Jesus. But this week, I want to kind of step away from just simple evangelism and say, what does it mean to tell people about Jesus? Because the instructions that Jesus gave were not this. He didn't say, go and make sure that we have good representation among the world religions, that people are aware of us. Like, don't go and start a marketing campaign so that we have the most likes on Instagram. It's not just go and tell people about Jesus. There's an invitation there. Follow Jesus. Become a disciple. When I was in the sixth grade, I was bit by a bug. Not like a tick or a mosquito, though that probably happened too. I was bit by the music bug. Uh, man, I, I love some music. Man, my dad uh, had a record collection, and man, I cracked that thing open. I remember I, was, I, I, I saw it. It was all dusty. It was beautiful. I pulled out some records. I started listening to the Beatles, the Doobie Brothers, uh, Steve Miller Band. I started listening to... Um, uh, who else? Chicago, a uh, bunch of great bands. I, I was listening to these bands, and I was just, just like blown away, and it just it flipped a switch in my brain. I went to school, and I started learning from my friends about some other awesome bands, uh, three of my favorites from this time period, Nirvana, Metallica, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Changed my world, okay? On my own, I discovered Jimi Hendrix, come on, Bob Marley, The Police, these are groups that began to shape who I was. And so I, I was right around the same time when I was picking up ladies um, in sixth grade. Uh, I, I started to really get into music. Uh, my dad bought me a guitar that year. And I spent hours of my time learning chords and trying to figure it out. I joined the band in school and started playing trombone. Guys, if, if you want a way to, to pick up the ladies, don't become a trombone player. That's, that's not what they're looking for. Uh, but so, but I, I got the trombone thing, and, then, and my, band, my band director saw that I had an aptitude for it. So he was like, you know what, we really needed some people to, to play trumpet. So I started to become a trumpet player, and I did pretty well there. I started a rock band, a little garage band, and we played really loud, annoying music. Uh, and we wrote our own songs, and it was awesome, man. And we had, like, kids from around the neighborhood would come and listen to us practice. And I'm like, we're... We're on to something. We actually recorded some stuff. I, as I moved on into high school, I got more serious, and I played more instruments, and I, became, I got really uh, proficient at guitar. I started playing bass and drums. I uh, was in several rock bands. Ended up uh, doing marching band also, and, and along with that, all the side stuff. You got some of the band dorks in the room. You know what I'm talking about. Like, you do, like, the jazz band. You do the wind ensemble. You go do the things where you compete because you want to be, like, the best nerd in the county. Like, that was what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and so, like... I really, I really started getting to go, and, and before long, I started having people that would come to me and start taking lessons, 
and I'm tutoring them in music theory and different things. And I had um, opportunities as I was getting older and older where the colleges were seeing me and offering me scholarships to come be in parts of their music programs. I'm like, this could be awesome. Without realizing it, I was completely immersed in the world of music. Now, I'll tell you this because I know you're all here with a passion and a dream. I mean, I know, like, picking your major is a really hard thing, but there's something that just makes you tick. There's a passion that gets in the, the middle of your soul, and that thing that you begin to immerse yourself in. When, when, you, when you met me at probably age 18, 19, 20, you knew one thing about me. It was that I was a musician. You knew that, and you knew that I loved it. I want to use that because I think it's something we can all relate to. I had become a follower of music in a couple of different ways. I had people pouring into me. And then I got to the point where I didn't know what to do with all this sensory input of music, uh, whether it was from my teachers or from the bands I was listening to, and you don't want to see me dance. Um, so what am I going to do? I'm going to play music. And I became a teacher, and I became to do all, all kinds of other things. Um, discipleship is a really interesting thing. Because discipleship can be both input and output. Or the way that I want to kind of phrase it is like this. Discipleship can be passive and it can be active. Discipleship can be something that you sit and kind of receive, but it's also something that you give. And when you get in a situation when you're with a good group of people, uh, it's give and take sometimes at the same time. One of the greatest disciples that ever lived was a guy named Paul. And you, you probably talk about Paul all the time. He wrote the majority of our New Testament Bible. And Paul was... I love Paul's story because when we first meet Paul, he is a persecutor of the church. In fact, in modern terms, he would be called a religious terrorist, uh, an extremist. And he's going from door to door, and he's taking Christians, and he's dragging them into the street, and he's saying, listen, you need to renounce your faith in this Jesus guy, or I'm going to have to put you to death or throw you in prison or take away all of your possessions. And so this is the life that Paul's living. He encounters Jesus. He meets Jesus. You can read about it in Acts in a couple different places. You can read about it in the first chapter of Galatians. But when he meets Jesus, his entire life changes. And he begins to learn what it means to walk in the footsteps of this guy, Jesus. He becomes one of the greatest disciples to ever live. And i got to tell you, as I was thinking about what I want to say tonight, um, I landed on a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And it's funny because one little sentence, it's in the middle of a discourse where he's talking about a bunch of other stuff. But he drops this little truth bomb. And I just want to kind of give it to you, let it sit, resonate, marinate, see where it sits. This is what it says. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you read the first couple sentences, you're like, this is not a chapter about discipleship. <laughs> it's not. It's about a whole bunch of other stuff, and if you want to read about a jacked-up church, it was the church at Corinth. They had some issues, some major issues. But right in the middle of that section, Paul steps in and he, inter and he interjects his thought, listen, I want you to follow my example as I follow Christ. And you know, there's a lot we can learn about the life of Paul. Paul was a, a killer speaker. Like he could come into an audience of people who were opposed to him and he had the right words to say and he could get their attention and he could compel them. He could walk into a group of believers and just train them and teach them to where they were like arguing over who gets to talk to him next. He, he, could, he could stir up a crowd. He could lead a group. He was someone who was extremely faithful, extremely like focused on his job. This is a guy who traveled around the Mediterranean world planting churches, and nothing was going to stop this guy. He gets shipwrecked, nearly dies, bitten by a poisonous snake. There's one story where he's stoned and by, by people in a city, and like the way it reads is like he was dead. There's speculation. Does he actually dead, or was he like he was dead? But either way, he was that stoned, if you follow me. And like he's like down, okay, with a bang, not a bong. It's just different. And 
he's down there and he's like, uh, you know what he does? He gets up. He gets up off the ground and you know what he does? Continues planting churches. He's outside of Ephesus and they try to kill this guy. Nothing will deter him. So there's a lot we can learn from, from Paul. But as I look at Paul's life, and he says this sentence, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I'm going to read another one to you uh, from Philippians 3.17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Another way of saying that. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. On the surface, this actually seems pretty arrogant. Uh, you ever been with somebody and you're just like, you know, you're not all that. Um, I wish, wish you would stop talking about yourself. And, and you see a sentence like this, follow me, imitate me. It's kind of an interesting sentence. What I love about Paul is his transparency. If you, read, you don't have to read much of Paul to realize he's very aware of his brokenness, of the sin that, that he struggles with. He talks about certain sins that like the things that I, I want to do, I just don't seem to be able to do, the things that I'm not supposed to do, I keep on doing them. He's very transparent with his own brokenness. And so I love the way he phrases this. Follow my example as I follow Christ. I think we can kind of infer from that. He's saying, you know, in the, in the ways that I'm not like Jesus, don't do that. There was a whole series, season in my life where I was persecuting the church and I was a, a religious terrorist. Uh, don't do that. There are times in my life where maybe I was too arrogant or maybe I was too foolhardy or whatever. Don't be like that. But as I follow Christ, follow in my footsteps. There was a time uh, when it was really popular. Did anybody remember the, the, the WWJD bracelets? Anybody still see those? You know what I'm talking about? What would Jesus do? Um, when I was coming up, especially in middle school, high school, I remember it was really popular for a few years. And it got to a point where it's like, as a Christian kid, I didn't even want to wear them. Like, those are lame. Like, they're everywhere. They mean nothing. Um, because everyone was wearing them. But, but as I look back, I think the, the kid who played for Clemson this year, the, the quarterback who's like just... Blew everybody, yeah. Uh, he blew everybody's mind. He was wearing one of those during the game, the, the final game, wasn't he? The Alabama Clemson game. Um, I think he was wearing like, what would Jesus do? And I saw it again, and it really hit me that you know, to have a reminder of the simple question, what would Jesus do, might be one of the most helpful things that we could ever have when it comes to being a disciple. I think the the first place to start is to first be a disciple it seems like a no-brainer right of course obviously but there's got to be a point in our life where we've got someone who is speaking like that bracelet but even more so than that a human being who is speaking into our life sitting across the table from us or over the phone or over a video chat and saying hey let's talk about your life and when we come into a, a, a vulnerability with them when we say yes you have permission to speak into my life. Um, I have been really encouraged by crew for the last several years that I've been around, and um, I get to come about once a semester. And um, What I continually hear about is the stories like, like Jacob told tonight about, man, um, I know Justin Lewis, and I, I did not know that he discipled you at some point, and that's, that's really cool. And also, I know Justin, and I know people who knew Justin when he was younger. And it's cool to know that Justin was discipled by someone. And to know that you're pouring into people's lives right now, that, that's powerful. And to see that in the short time that you're in college, this is not it, right? You know that. Like, you know, you're only going to be here, what, six years? Is that how long it takes? I don't know. Um, but, right? Isn't that it? Um, but in this short time, you can grow so much. But it begins by saying, I'm willing to sit down 
and have someone ask me the question, what would Jesus do? Or, or to put it like Paul would say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. My question to you tonight is very simple. I have two questions. This is the first one. Who are you allowing to speak into your life? Who is it? Uh, what's the best place to be discipled? Is it going to church and listening to a sermon? Is it coming to crew? Maybe. Does it happen there? Maybe. I think it can happen there. But this is more like the professor setting, you know? Someone is, you know, putting out information and you're kind of taking it in and and even we, even we even sit in church like we're in college. You see how we take notes and we underline things. And it's, it's like I'm, it's an information. It's all about information. It's, it's the way that our, our brains work as, uh, as Westerners. But we've got this concept. But, but no, it's, it's more of the, the, the uh, organic thing. It's sitting across the table with someone and saying, hey, I want to give you permission to speak into my life. I was discipled by a guy several years ago. Um, and I really looked up. He was actually a campus minister at, at ECU. And I was probably 26, 27 at the time. And I went up to him. I said, hey, I, I want to be discipled by you. He says, cool. Uh, let's meet once a week. I'm going to ask you one question every week. And I'm not going to tell you what it is right now. Like, okay, great. So we got together. And this is the only question he ever asked me. And we got, a, we got deep. He said, what is God's word teaching you right now? That's the only question he ever asked me in our discipling time. Now, we, he has asked other questions. But that's, it all started there. There's... An implied everything in that question. What is God's word teaching you right now? Well, one, I could answer the question. Well, God's word is teaching me this. I could say, I'm not in God's word right now. <laughs> I could say, I don't know. I'm reading this, but I'm not getting this. I could say a lot of different things, but that was the one question. And it grew me so much because what it forced me to do was ask myself the question, do I care what God's word has to say in my life? Am I going to take the time to put in? So that I can see what I can get out. And, and then, you know, you know how it goes. It grew from there and the questions grew. And we would meet for an entire hour once a week and it would all stem around that one question. And it's funny because some weeks I knew the question was coming. I was like, what's up? And we'd, you know, shoot the breeze for a minute and be like, all right, so what's God's word teaching you right now? <sighs> knew you were going to ask that. Of course you knew I was going to ask that. I told you I was going to ask that every week. But having someone who, who is in your life, if you don't have someone in your life right now who has permission to speak into it, can I, can I ask you to do this? Find somebody. Find somebody. And they do not have to be up on a pedestal somewhere with like a PhD or a seminary degree or they've read more books than you. They just have to be somebody that you trust who has the Jesus story. And, and it, this, is, this is interesting. They actually don't necessarily have to be a whole lot more mature than you in your faith. A lot of my best discipleship has come people that we're, we're head to head as far as faith. But because I've given that person permission to be honest with me, they can simply say, follow me as I follow Christ. This is what I've seen in your life right now, and let's talk. And sometimes the table then gets turned, and I get to speak right back into their life. Um, who is pouring into your life? That first step is be discipled. Be discipled. Um, and that's maybe the passive side of discipleship. The active side, to me, is the most exciting thing. Because it's where we start to do more of what we talked about last week. Being that lead domino. Being that active agent in someone's life to help them make change. And... Um, so when you get to live out the mission of Jesus, the same mission that he gave to those first followers, the same one from Matthew chapter 28 that we read a little bit earlier, when you get to go and make disciples, oh man, it's exciting. But it is terrifying. Because guess what you become? You become the rabbi. What? No, I didn't sign up for that. That is not what Jesus called me to be. He said, I'm a sinner saved by grace and all this stuff. No, no, Jesus said go and make disciples. You know what that means? It means that we go to people and we say the thing that Paul said. Follow my example 
as I follow Christ. There's a linear connection, and it all points back to Jesus. And it's really hard sometimes, and I think that God knew this about us. If you go up to somebody and you and want to talk to them and say, hey, listen, you know what I want to do? I want to, I want to introduce you to Jesus. Now, that's like the very entry level of their faith. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus, introduce me. Where is he? Is he here right now? Like, I can't see him. I can't touch him. I can't talk to him. And once you understand the spiritual nature of it and all the things who Jesus is and that he's going to come back and that he's the living Lord and all those things, that's amazing. But at the very baby phase of your faith, you know what you need? A human friend who can sit with you and talk about what God's done in their life. Do you need a PhD? Do you need a seminary degree? Do you need to read more books than them? No. You know what you need? All you need is your Jesus story. The old hymn said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. What's your story? I came to college. I partied for three years. I met somebody from crew. They invited me. I learned about Jesus, and man, everything's changed. Paul said I was dragging people in the street, killing Christians. Next thing I know, I meet Jesus, and my life has been changed. My grandma was trying to talk to me about my faith for years and years and years, and then finally I listened, and I, and I heard her story, and my life is changed. I was addicted to drugs or pornography, and now I'm not. I was in a bad relationship, but now I'm not. And people hear that, and they're like, you got that from Jesus? Tell me more about Jesus. Follow my example as I follow Christ. Um, We have, in churches, I'm a pastor at a church, and I've been in ministry for 17 years, and when I look at, across the spectrum of church, and I've got dozens of friends who are pastors, and we talk a lot about our churches and like ways that we think there's, there's wins and ways that we think that there's challenges, and across the board, when I talk to some of my closest friends who are pastors, and we talk to each other about the thing that we wish we could do better at, you know what it always is? Discipleship. I wish we could do better at discipleship. And so here's, it's just funny, because if you were here last week, I hope you, you might even notice, you might notice, like, this, the way I'm talking tonight is a completely different way than I'm talking last week. Um, because what I want tonight to be is just a really honest conversation. And I want to be honest with you. I have no idea the best way to systematize discipleship. Ask any of your crew staff, if they've nailed discipleship down and figured out how to do it perfectly on a college campus, the answer will be, not yet. Or it might be, well, no, I was just at this conference and I, we learned it now, we got it now. Like we always think we're like right there, we almost have it. But the truth is, we can't systematize discipleship. We can't make it a program. You can't sign up to be discipled like you can. We could put a sign-up sheet out there and be like, who wants to sign up for best friends? Go sign up for best friends. We're going to have write your favorite uh, sports team, your, your eye color, and, you know, your favorite, you know, milkshake from cookout. And we're going to pair you together based on those statistics. And that's how you're going to get to know Jesus. But, like, it doesn't work that way. Th- this is how it works. It works when one human being walks up to another one and begins a conversation and says, listen, let me tell you what God's done in my life. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Or as Jesus did it, he said, hey, come, follow me. As we wrap up tonight, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Uh, Start somewhere. Crews obviously got some systems in place that will help you pair with some some other students. That's great. Do that. Do that. But start somewhere and simply ask yourself the question, who am I going to allow to pour into me? And then the second question, who am I going to pour into Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. And we mentioned that last week, and that's a bit overwhelming. But do you know where that begins? 
with one person. I want to speak to a very specific demographic in this room. A lot of you came from youth groups. How many of you are freshmen this year? Wow. Uh, okay, I don't do this at my church ever. We don't raise hands, but I'm going to do it here because I, I think you trust me. I hope you do. Those of you who are freshmen, how many of you grew up in a youth group? How many of you still have some sort of contact with someone who's like a sophomore, junior, senior in your youth group? Another student. Okay. That's the person you need to call this week. If you need somebody. Maybe somebody on campus. But if you need an idea, someone who looks up to you, someone who, if you can still have contact with them, and that's just an example. Who is someone that you already have contact with, that you already have some trust with and some relationship with? And simply go to them. And I, I love this. When I've done this with so many people, you walk up to them and say, hey, listen, I'm just growing in my faith. I was wondering if you'd like to get together sometime and just uh, do some prayer together and kind of do this faith journey together. If the conversation's super awkward, just like I just did, you're right on par with some of the greatest evangelists to ever live. <laughs> because that's exactly how it goes every time. And that person may say, mm, it's kind of weird, I don't want to. It's okay. But my experience has been, most people are like, yeah, I would like that. Who are you allowing to pour into you? And who will you pour into? And don't feel like you've got to save the whole world. Take it one person at a time. That's what Jesus did when he walks up to Peter and then Andrew, and then when he shows up to Levi. That's what Paul does as he approaches Timothy and the other people that followed him and became his disciples, and one soul at a time. We learn what it means to follow. I just want to give you one last passage because uh, this is from one of Jesus' closest disciples. Uh, his name is John, and he wrote... Uh, in, in the book of John, uh, let's see, this is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And as he is telling his Jesus story, this is the way he phrases it. And he encourages us to, to walk in the light of Jesus. And this is what discipleship allows. He says, this is the message that we heard from him and we declare to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we don't live in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What has it been like for you to have your eyes opened, to go from darkness to light, to go from not understanding to understanding? And that can be your story. This is the message that I heard from him and I now pass on to you. Come, follow me. And let's be disciples. Let's be a group of people who, one by one, we grow closer to what it means to live in the dust of the rabbi. Let me pray for us tonight. God, you are good. You are eternally faithful. And um, this simple message is so complicated sometimes. We, we overthink what it means to pour into people's life. We overthink what it means to have someone um, pouring into our life. And I just hope that the message here tonight is just um, do it. Just do it. Just try. Be discipled. And then be a disciple maker. Thank you, Lord, for the example that you gave us through Jesus, through, uh, through Paul, through his disciples, and through the generations that all have a linear connection directly back to Jesus. Um, thank you for this honest conversation we were able to have here tonight. And we give you all the glory, all the praise forever and ever. Amen.